Amen. Our reading from God's Holy Word comes from Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. This is God's Word. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Father, we would ask now that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would come and speak to us from this, your holy word. Come and meet us and transform us. Glorify yourself in our midst and prepare us to run the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's good to see you on this second Sunday of 2023. I can't believe we're already into the second Sunday of 2023. If I haven't yet gotten a chance to meet you, my name is Nate Sheridan. I'm one of the ministers here at Cornerstone. Delighted today to open up God's Word with you in a text that if you were here last week, you know we started talking about together Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. And if you weren't with us uh, last week, well, you're going to be terribly lost as we start in. No, I promise I will catch you up. Um, I don't think you'll be behind the curve uh, this morning as we look together at Philippians chapter 3. But I want to just give you a a little bit of a a heads up as to where we were last week. And for those of you who are here, uh, maybe to stir your memories. I stir you up by way of reminder uh, in what the Lord spoke to us last week. But we took time thinking about that one little phrase. Phrase in Philippians uh, chapter 3, verse 13, when the Apostle Paul says, but one thing I do. And I, and I asked you last week, I said, if there was one thing that you had to do in 2023, what would it be? And I asked you to consider what your real answer would be, not what you expect to say to the pastor, you know, the right answer of some sort, but the real answer of your heart. What's the one thing that you would want to do? in 2023. And we said to ourselves, we would love for it to be what the Apostle Paul actually says in verse 13 of Philippians 3. The one thing I do is I press on. I press on towards the goal of the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We would love for that to be the real answer of our heart. And we took some time uh, last week actually just exploring what it would mean to take that one goal and have a variety of our areas of our life, in fact, all of our lives, submitted to that single-minded goal. This is what we want to be committed to. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Well, there's something in this same verse that I want to return to today as we conclude this two-part series before we re-enter the book of Exodus. And it's this really this how question. We, we, we talked last week about what, 
the one thing that we are to do is to press on towards that upward call, to look towards the finish line of Christ's return, to look towards the finish line of the resurrection of the dead, when the fullness and the all-perfection that has been promised to us and has already secured for us in Christ Jesus becomes a reality in our lives, and we are with Christ fully and completely for all eternity. That's what we set our sights towards. How do we get there from here? That's really the question I want to ask. How do we get uh, to, to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of this upcoming week with that pressing on, keeping that vision in view? And the Apostle Paul here in Philippians chapter 3 gives us a hint to that. When he says, the one thing I do is I press on, here's how I press on. I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. And I just want to sit with you in that language today. Of what would it mean to forget what lies behind and to strain forward to what lies ahead? What does he mean in that language of pressing on towards that one goal? And so I've got just two points this morning. Uh, the first is, I want you to be invited in and to embrace the blessed forgetfulness that the Apostle Paul is calling us into this year. That's number one. I want you to, to embrace and to understand and walk in the blessed forgetfulness that the Apostle Paul is calling us into in 2023. And secondly, I want you to run with a strenuous effort. I want you to run with a strenuous effort. I strain forward with all that's in, within me to press on towards that goal. A blessed forgetfulness and a straining forward. Now, let's look at this blessed forgetfulness because, well, to be honest, forgetfulness is rarely commended in the Scripture. It's a very unusual phrase here from the Apostle Paul. In fact, if you've done much reading, especially in the Old Testament, you know how often the people of Israel are rebuked for their forgetfulness, corrected for their forgetfulness, and exhorted constantly to remember the whole book of Deuteronomy, in fact, the last of, the, of the, what's called the Pentateuch, the law in the Old Testament, the writings of Moses, that whole book is devoted to the theme of remembering. And the reason is that, that Moses has been walking with the people of Israel, if you can go back to that history, for 40 years in the wilderness. And they've been walking in the wilderness for 40 years because they forgot. God had very faithfully shown forth his power. In, in bringing the ten plagues in Egypt, humbling Egypt's leaders and gods. And he had led the people of Israel out of Egypt and shown his power when he parted the Red Sea and they walked forward on dry land and then he crashed down those walls of water on the Egyptian army and they were destroyed. They had seen the provision of God raining down manna from heaven, bringing forth water from a rock, and then they made their way all the way up to the Jordan River. God, was, God actually was parting, going to part the Jordan River so they would move forward into the land of Canaan and take the land. God had said, listen, I have given the land to you. Now go take it. And you know what they did? They sent the spies into the land, and they looked at the people, and they realized that these Canaanite people were giants. They were huge. They said they were grasshoppers in the sight of those Canaanites. And the spies came back and said, yeah, we can't do it. You know, I know God who 
I don't know, sent 10 plagues and destroyed the greatest nation in the world at the time. I know the God who parted the Red Sea that we would walk forward on dry land and destroy their army. I know God who rains bread from heaven and water from a rock is telling us that we can go take them, but we can't. In fact, they were doing exactly what you and I often do, and that is they were looking at it horizontally with their human resources, and they were comparing the two, and they just said, no, we can't get there from here. And because of their doubt, which was evidenced by their forgetfulness, their loss of God's power, the sense of his provision, his care and his love, they were disciplined by the Lord. And for 40 years wandered in the wilderness. And now, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is preaching to them a sermon. And he's saying to them, let's get ready to take the land now. Don't forget. Don't forget. You remember, that went really poorly for you before. Let's remember. That's what we're used to hearing from the Scripture. So it's really unusual, isn't it? That that we have Paul in this passage saying, I'm going to press on in the mission towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus by forgetting. I'm going to forget what lies behind. Well, clearly when the Apostle Paul says that, he doesn't mean I'm going to forget God and I'm going to forget what God has done. He clearly doesn't mean that. He clearly is talking about a different kind of forgetfulness that's needed. The right kind. We might say a holy kind of forgetfulness that's needed. And I love the way one writer put it. He says, it's the kind of dwelling on the past that hinders our present effort and our future progress. He says, it's the type of dwelling on the past that hinders our present effort and our future progress. Now, you you know this all too well, right? How you can very often look back at your life, maybe look back at 2022... And consider all the ways that you fell short. And then you can look back to 2021 and you can consider there were a lot of the same ways that you fell short in the year previous too. And that you have this regular issue of falling short in a whole series of areas. That you had hoped to gain more progress than now. And as you enter 2023, you say to yourself, nothing's ever going to change. I'm not going to grow. This, this habit's never going to be developed. This sin, I'm never going to have victory over. The way that I relate to my, to my spouse is never going to get better. It's never going to improve. Uh, the, the patterns of, of engagement and relationship with my boss, there, there's no way that the needle's going to move in the right direction. I was yesterday in an indoor baseball facility. We're getting, of course, it's January. We're getting ready for baseball, right? And I was there with my son. And, and as he was pitching, I was watching this other kid hit. And you could, it was probably his first time to hit in 2023. He's probably been a little cold. And as the balls were going, he, he was swinging and he was missing. He was pulling his head, he was dropping his elbow. He was doing all the things he shouldn't do. And you could see with each swing that he missed, he got a little bit more defeated. And then I heard the coach go over there to him and said, Hey, take a break so you can shake it off. What's he saying to him? you got to leave this behind. You have to step up to the plate like you're a new man. Like there's a new record. Like nothing's against you. Like you don't have to live in the failures of your past. Do you know what happens when we live in the failures of our past? They become a self-fulfilling prophecy about our future. That's actually what Paul is referring to here. 
is that when we begin to direct our minds towards those and we allow the cloud of the previous failures and sins and issues to make their way into our present life, you know what immediately begins to happen? We begin to want to give up. Our present effort diminishes. Our sense of the future and our hope for that future and the potential of change begins to disappear because we're living within the failures of our past. You know, the reality is most of us have stronger memories for our failures than we do for God's faithfulness. We have stronger memories for our failures than we do for God's faithfulness. You just think about it right now. As you think about your, your past, you can remember the ways that you messed it up royally with incredible detail. But think of how hard it is to remember how faithful God has been. Think of how easy it is to complain and how hard it is to give thanks. It's because you more easily are inclined, memory-wise, in the fallenness of your mind and your heart to go back to the things that are wrong rather than to focus your mind on the things that are right, on God's faithfulness, His truth, his care and his love. What happens when we are more when we're when we're more remembering of our failures than we are of God's faithfulness, we live burdens, burdened lives. It's like trying to run a race with an anchor attached to your ankle. You're, you're being dragged back by the things that you've never been able to leave behind. This is why the Apostle Paul, I believe, puts it in the order that he does in this text. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on. Notice he doesn't say, one thing I do, I strain forward to what lies ahead and forget what lies behind. Why doesn't he do it that way? Why does he start with forgetfulness before strenuous effort? Because you won't give strenuous effort if you're still living with those old burdens of the past. The, the forgetfulness has to happen first. That has to be laid at the feet of the Lord. We have to be released from dwelling on our past failures and sins for there to be the hope of progress and for strenuous effort to actually be true of us in the days to come. Now, part of what this passage is really asking you and me from a practical standpoint is where are we stuck? Where, where are the old recordings that we're going over in our own minds about how we're never going to get our temper um, actually calmed down? How we're going to quit living by the fear of man? That greed and dishonesty is not going to overtake our lives? What are the ways in which we're actually living in that past and we're bringing it into the future and it's really dragging us down? And you think to yourself, well, Nate, you don't know my past. You don't know how terrible it is. You don't know the trauma that I've been through and the difficulty I've been through. You don't, you don't have a sense of the stains that are a part of my reputation and record as I come through. Well, I, I don't have a sense for that for all of you here in this room, but I do have a sense for the Apostle Paul's. The Apostle Paul earlier in Philippians chapter 3 actually unpacks for us the things that he would have had to forget. The things that he would have laid behind. Let me go through a couple of them with you. He spent years living in pride and self-righteousness. Trying to save himself by the law and actually creating collateral damage in the life of people's lives all around him. He was a persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ. We're told in Acts 7 and 8 that he was standing at Stephen's martyrdom. And approved of it. 
This is a prideful, self-righteous, violent, wicked man who in the name of religion was doing good. This is a man who was a part of the system that was perpetrating injustice. This is a man who had to say, I forget it all. I lay all of that behind. I'm not going to let that hinder me from pressing forward towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, how is he able to do that? How is he able to do that? Well, I think there's more than one answer, but let me give you what I think is clearly at least one answer that we know the Apostle Paul believed. And that is, he was able to forget his past sins and failures because he knew that God did not remember them. God did not remember them anymore. God had forgotten them. God had separated them as far as the east is from the west. God writes in Isaiah 43, 25, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Notice that language of blot out. It's no longer on the record. It's completely been removed. I will remember your sins, He says, no more. He's saying, don't go remembering what God has already forgotten. Don't go bringing into the present what the Lord has already removed as far as the east is from the west. I have freed you from the burden of that past. Let it go. Lay it at my feet. Now some of you in here, because you're great theologians, are saying to yourself, how in the world does God forget things? It's a good question. Now, clearly that doesn't mean that God has lost the information of your sins and failings. That he in some way, shape, or form is without certain forms of knowledge. If that were the case, we were in real trouble. Because God is omniscient. He knows all things. When the Bible uses the language of forgetfulness, as we saw even with Israel, we don't just merely mean that they don't have the content. It means that the reality and the record of that thing hasn't changed to them. So much that it's actually made a, a pathway for the life of faith. Similarly, when we say that God does not remember our sins, we mean to say that though he knows every single one of them, let me just scare you for a minute, a lot more than you could ever remember, he knows about your sin. Like if you think it's bad, you have no idea. You have no idea. He knows it all in its explicit detail. In its horror of horrors detail, he knows. And he chooses not to call it to mind. He chooses not to levy it against you. He chooses not to put it on your record. Now, how can he do that? Only by removing it. Do you see, that's the answer of the Lord Jesus Christ. What did he do when he came to the cross? He came as your substitute. He came so that your sins and my sins would be charged to his account. So that he would pay the wages of our sin, which is death. And he would then, in that death, satisfy the righteous requirement of the law. Actually bring your account to, to, to zero, the debt that you had. And then he would go beyond that by giving you all of his account. The fullness of his credentials and record. Filling your account up with all of his righteousness. He had did this in the cross and in the resurrection. This was, this was the victory 
that, that Jesus actually accomplished. The Apostle Paul, in embracing the gospel, is deciding what to live in the light of what God has already decided um, to, to do. And that is to remove his sins from him and to fill him full of the righteousness that is Christ. To charge him with the fullness of who Christ is. So Paul is actually saying to us, if we're going to grow this year in 2023 and make progress, we've got to not let the clouds of the previous sins and failures interrupt and intrude upon the progress that the Lord has in store for us. In fact, what we need to remember is that our sins by God have been forgotten. That's what we need to be remembering because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're receiving that truth there's something going on actually in your soul, and, the, and what it's called is peace. What it's called is, is rest. You know, Jesus tells us that he's come to give us his peace, John chapter 14. That we have nothing now to prove. We have, we, have, we have nothing that we could do to add to the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has completed it. What's remarkable about that peace is what we see in the Apostle Paul is it doesn't relax into laziness is it's a peace that's so full that it motivates him to run. It motivates him to run. He's been cut loose of the dead weight that clangs so closely to him, right? And the clouds that would overshadow his life to keep him from running. He's been cut loose from those. So what does he do? Sits in his lazy boy and sits on his coffee? Now he runs the race that is set before him. Look, not only is there a blessed forgetfulness here, notice there's a strenuous effort. There's a strenuous effort. Notice the language. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal. It's the imagery of a runner. A runner who's running a race, it's one of the most common of the imageries that we get in the scripture about the Christian life. You can think of Hebrews chapter 12. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You can think of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Do you not know, Paul writes, that a race, that in a race all the runners run to receive the prize? Run that you may obtain it. Over and over, the scripture sets us, as those who are believers in Christ, as runners who are on a race. People who are, are letting go of what's behind us and pressing on and forward to what's ahead. And notice the way that we're running. It's not a stroll in the park. Notice it's not even like a, like a fun, you know, fundraiser 5K. It's a straining forward. It literally is every fiber of my being is given to the finish line to press on in this race. I'm after this, this, in this race to win it, to get to the finish line, to actually press it in, as it were, towards the tape. The lovely thing about that is, it's, is, is that there is a, there's, an in, there's an energy and a strenuousness that arises from the peace that comes from knowing that our running of the race is actually fueled by the fact that Christ has run this race and he's with us in it. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, in Hebrews chapter 12, we said that that Jesus is the author of our faith. He's at the very beginning of the race. He's there in the moment where the starting block 
and the gun goes off. The beginning of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ is there. We would not be there without his work at the very beginning. We wouldn't even be in the race if it wasn't he who had invited us by his grace to run. But isn't it interesting that in Hebrews chapter 12, we're told that not only is he the author of our faith, he's what? He's the perfecter of our faith. Do you know what that means? It means he's at the end of the race. He's at the beginning of the race, and he's at the end of the race. Now, maybe you're asking yourself here because of the text we're looking at, Paul seems to be motivated by a prize, right? He seems to be motivated by a, by a prize. What kind of prize is this? What, what is he after? Does, is it vainglory? Does he want to be known as a winner so that he can sort of tell everybody else that he's a winner? Is that what, is that, is that what the Christian life is about? Some people think that's what the Christian life is about, being sure that you show yourself better than the next person. That's not what the Christian life is about in the, in the least. Is it, is it there's a really nice trophy? Is there a financial you know, remuneration at the end of the race? You know, what is it that we're, we're actually running towards? And when we, when we pair Philippians 3 with, with Hebrews 12, what we learn is, is that Jesus Christ is at the end of the race. We run because Christ is there. Did you notice that we run to the upward calling? Where is Jesus right now? He's at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He's living to make intercession for us. What is the prize at the end of the Christian race? It's Jesus. Now maybe you're asking yourself, like, okay, why am I not more stimulated by that? Why does that, why does that not excite me more to know that Jesus is at the end of that race? And part of the reason is we grow dull. We grow dull to what Paul earlier in the letter of Philippians called the surpassing worth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said he considers everything else in life completely lost. The word is rubbish. He considers all of life rubbish in light of the comparison of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, How is that possible? Well, let me, let me give you an, an illustration of it so that I think you can, you can maybe embody it a little bit more. You, you've seen... Lovers in love, haven't you? Some of you in here have been lovers in love. Some of you are lovers in love, right? Now, some of you are wannabe lovers in love in here, right? There's all kinds of stories in that, but you've seen it. You've witnessed it when those two people are head over heels for one another. And what you find in their affection for one another is an incredible zeal and a desire to be with one another. Don't you find that when you love someone, you want to be with them? That you enjoy brainstorming about how to bless them. That you would love the opportunity to serve them. Just so that they could experience and feel the love that you have for them. Some of you are like, that was a long time ago, right? As you're, you're thinking back, right? Do you remember those moments in your Life, whether it be with a brother or sister, a father or mother, a husband or wife, someone that you've deeply loved, where out of love for them, you desire to do anything to serve them and to show them that love. Do you, do you, can you get to that moment? Can you get to that heart space? Have you known that heart space? Do you remember how free it was? Do you remember how joy-giving it was? Do you remember how self-forgetful you were? Do you remember how other-remembering you were? 
Don't you long to be there all the time? Don't you wish your heart would stay put in that spot and just grow and grow and grow for the people who are around you? That sacrifices would be lightened and joys would be doubled because of the affection that you have, not just for that one, but imagine having it for all the variety of people in your life. Having the depth of that kind of affection and care. Now the reality is we're finite people. Our capacities are limited. We're not going to see that this side of the rainbow. But there is one person that you can love. And in loving him that way, you'll find that that love bleeds over into every other love in your life. That's the one thing that the Apostle Paul is doing. When he thinks about the finish line, He doesn't think streets of gold, amazing mansion. He doesn't think like never-ending access to Netflix and YouTube. He doesn't think of, uh, of jewels and riches. The prize is Christ, you understand. Now, what if the prize was Christ for you and Christ for me? it would probably mean we would read our Bibles so we could spend some time with Christ. Because we love Him. It probably mean we'd pray more than we do. Because we want to be with Christ. We'd probably obey Him. Because we want to be like Him. And we want to see our character become like one who would love us the way that He's loved us. Someone who's willing to take my sin and remove it and give me all of his righteousness and not hold it against me. Even though I've lived a life of offense before his eyes, I want to know someone like that. I want to follow someone like that. I want to spend time with him. You see, you see, when you begin to see at a place of love for Christ, all of a sudden, everything that happens in your life is an opportunity. Not an obstacle. Not, a, not, a, not just a... Not just to grin and bear it. Not just a begrudging task or duty. All of a sudden, love becomes this pathway in which the finish line you begin to taste ahead of time. Isn't that what happens in those sweet moments where you're actually praying? No, not when you're mouthing words. Like when you're in love with Christ and you're talking to him. And he's speaking to you. There's no place you'd rather be. When you're serving the other because you heard the call of Christ. And your heart is melting with joy at the ability to write a check, to take a casserole, to go to a foreign country to evangelize. I don't know what it is. But you heard the call of Christ and you want to do exactly what it is that he would call you to do. Why? Because in a sense, he has written a check, hasn't he? And deposited it into your account. He's brought you the food and provided everything that you need. Did he not come from a far country to evangelize you? Hasn't he done everything? How can we do? How would any response less than go and do likewise make sense? To someone who has loved you like that. 
That's, the, that's why Jesus is the prize, you see. To know him, to become like him, and to eventually, by grace, see him face to face. That's the prize. That's the joy. And I want you to see that you have confidence in this. Briefly, confidence in two ways. If Christ is the author of your faith, and he's the perfecter of your faith, the assumption then is that he's with you on the whole race. If he's at the starting line, if he's at the finish line, you know where he is right now? He's at your side. You know what he's doing? He's ensuring that you get there the whole way. He's given you his spirit. He's provided all of his resources and means of grace to you. He's with you stride for stride. When you fall down, he's picking you up. It may be in the faces and the hands and the hearts of the people who are around you that he's showing up. People who are giving you a phone call and coming by and encouraging you. People who are helping provide for you the body of Christ revealing itself in your life. That's Jesus showing up. That's him helping you run this race that is set before you. No matter where it is that you are. You can strain forward knowing that Jesus is there with you stride for stride. You're not alone in this race. And you've got fellow racers all around you who are headed in that direction. But let me tell you, not just that, not just in this moment. If Jesus is at the beginning of the race and Jesus is at the end of the race, you know what that also means? It means he finished the race already for you. He's already finished the race for you. It's, it's complete. You run in the finishedness of the race. You don't, you don't run as one whose identity and life and wherewithal it depends on you getting there. You, you run straining knowing that Christ has already finished the race on your behalf. That he has already brought All of this to completion. Can you imagine what encouragement that is if you actually, you and I actually lived with something of this remembrance on our heart and our mind? Let me challenge you. This is going to leak out of you, right? Like, I hope by God's grace that there's something of of great encouragement and renewal that you experience even, even right now, even maybe watershed moments where you realize. Man, I have reason to hope and a reason to run because the past doesn't define me and need to carry me into the future. And the future is certain because Christ has run the race for me. And the present is hopeful because he's right by my side. I can lay all of that aside. I hope that there's a sense of that with you in a a rich and inviting way. But then tomorrow morning is going to come. Like that alarm is going to go off. And we're not all going to be in this state of mind. You understand that? What will you put in place to remember? What will you do to help yourself remember? What will you do to stir your affections for Christ in the remembrance of these truths every day of 2023? What could you do? What's on your nightstand? What's, what's on the mirror on your bathroom? What's the prayer and reading Bible plan? What's the accountability partner? I, I don't know what that is for you per se. Oh, but friends, by God's grace, find it. Find it. Isn't it worth it? 
to come back to this space and to realize like halfway through Monday, you've got a means by which to pause during the lunch hour to remind yourself, oh yeah, it's not all about me and up to me. Oh, that's great. He's finished the race. And I don't have to worry about being the failure that I feel myself to be. I actually have all of Christ's credentials charged to my account. And I'm running the race, falling, yes, but being picked up, carried half the way. But he's going to get me there. I have reason to hope and reason to have confidence. What would it look like for you to practically learn how to weave the realities of these truths into your life day by day? And to grow deeper in love with Jesus this year. Think about that. Consider it. Because it might just make all the difference. Father in heaven, we pray that indeed you would come and renew us in this way. And that you would give us diligence to pursue you in the way that Paul has invited us to. Called us to. Even commanded us to by this word today. Would you, would you today um, make those of us who are sitting on the sidelines, w- would you just prompt us to begin to put our running shoes on and just begin to think what it would be like to go further down this path? For those of us who are on the path, but we're, we're just walking, what would it turn us into joggers? And what would turn joggers into runners? And what would turn runners into straining forward with every fiber of their being to meet the Lord Jesus? Uh, Lord, I pray that you would cause us not to be those who trust in whatever plans we come up with. Plans are just that. But help us not be people who don't plan, who don't think, who aren't intentional. Help us to be people who trust that you'll meet us in it and you'll renew us along the way. Help us to draw close to to you and to your church this year. To not try to do this on our own. We are so individualistic. But none of us have been framed and shaped by you to do this alone. And truth be told, some of us have fallen so short in this run Because we have been running solo. Today, would you cause groups of runners to gather together? That plans might be put in place for running in a way that we've never run before. Lord Jesus, help us to grow into the love that you have for us this year. And let that love have a transformative impact. Not just for our peace of mind. Not just for our own growth, but for bearing witness in the world around us. We live in an age full of darkness. We live in a place that needs the light of the gospel. Would you cause your church to be a city set on a hill? That light would go out and of which all of the communities around it would see and be drawn to it. That something new is happening there. Something out of this world has broken in. Lord, would you cause those kinds of opportunities to be ours this this year? Not for our sake. For yours. For your glory. Do this, we pray.
in Christ's name. Amen.